Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, week one is in the books for the Green Bay Packers. And it was not pretty. 38-3, to a loss to the New Orleans Saints down in Jacksonville, Florida. And, uh, yeah, not what anybody expected. And, uh, essentially, the Packers are in bounce-back mode right away here in week two of 2021. Right out of the gate, uh, 100%. Uh, definitely not the game I expected in any level. I mean, obviously you don't anticipate Green Bay coming out, league's highest scoring offense in 2020, putting up three points, struggling with turnovers the way they did. I mean, your big line all last week I thought was right on point. The Packers need to probably be plus two, somewhere in that category with the turnover margin. And I think they win this football game. But the, the bigger thing that I think surprised me was just exactly how the Saints played. Yeah. And, you know, we talked all week about Jameis Winston and the last time he was a starting quarterback and the turnovers. I, one of the things I was touching on this week that doesn't get talked about enough is when he had the 30 interceptions, which by no means is good, he threw 626 passes. So what did they do in this game? They really minimized the amount of passes that he was throwing. It was more of a game management type style relying on his feet when the play broke down instead of trying to make things happen. And when you have a guy like Elvin Kamara, that's, you, you, you ride that guy. And a year ago, I talked about it ad nauseum, 13 catches on 14 targets this year, 20 carries for 86 yards, productive yards, didn't have a big gainer, had their longest carry was 15 yards, and the Green Bay Packers just couldn't stop it. Yeah, it felt to me this game – and don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying in pointing out these two plays that the Packers would have won the game, but this game to me, two plays turned this from being a competitive game into being a blowout. And one was the fourth and seven for the New Orleans Saints. The score is 10 to nothing. New Orleans crosses midfield. They have a fourth and seven on, I believe it was the 41-yard line in Green Bay territory. Too far to kick a field goal, didn't want to punt from there. So Sean Payton decides to go for it. If the Packers get a stop there, you get the ball back in good field position. You're down 10 to nothing. Uh, you know, nobody's, nobody's losing any sleep at this point. But they convert that. They end up finishing the drive. There's a busted coverage on the, the tight end screen there on fourth and seven, and they convert that very, very easily. And they, you know, a few plays later, they're in the end zone at 17 to nothing. Then the other play, of course, is the interception early in the third quarter. The Packers get a field goal before halftime. It's 17-3. They get the ball coming out, start of the third quarter, march it right down the field, get into the red zone inside the 10-yard line, in fact. And you're looking at it, okay, get a touchdown there. It's 17-10. to The defense has had some rest to see if they settle down. Still a lot of ball game to play, more than a quarter and a half left to go. But instead of getting it to 17-10, to there's a pressure breakdown on both sides of the offensive line. Aaron Rodgers tries to force it on second down as Adams is crossing. The throws behind him, it's picked off. You all know the rest. Those two plays really turned this from being what I think everybody expected to be a competitive game into being a blowout, and the Packers just never recovered from from that. Yeah, and it's just it's too much yarn coming off the ball. You can't get it back together at that yeah. point. And you know, I'll, I'll turn. I'll start with this, then we'll we'll talk about the the turnovers and the interception, and everything. But that second quarter series is the one that stands out to me the most because I remember you and I are watching this game back at Lambeau Field on television, and they decided to run it there, I believe. Yeah, it was the, the six-yard run by Kamara. Yeah, it was, it, was thir it was third and long. Third, third and 13 and, yeah. from Green Bay's 47. And, and I, I kind of figured what they were doing there. Yep. It, it made sense because it was a situation which you get stopped, well, then you just punt it, right? 
If you get some yards out of it and it's manageable, well, then you have the option to either A, still punt it, you know, and try to, you know, pin them back, or, you know, go for it in that case. Green Bay just couldn't get off the field uh, defensively. I mean, when you yeah. look at the third downs, five of ten, uh, the Saints were on conversions, and then th- five of those that they didn't convert on third down, they got on fourth down then. They get inside the red zone four of four. Those type of numbers, you're just not going to be able to overcome that kind of that deficit regardless of what everything else is. And because of the way the Saints played that first half, 22 minutes to eight minutes basically in time of possession, rounding out some numbers. Green Bay led the league, I think, last year in time of possession. Again, stacking the deck against yourself. All that being said, Matt LaFleur even talked about it on Monday or it was after the game, I forget, but you know, they still kind of counted themselves lucky that they were able to go into halftime only down two scores. Right, after it, was, the- it was a two-score. For everything that had gone wrong, it was a two-score game, and you're getting the ball coming out start of the third quarter, and they did exactly what they wanted to do, except they didn't get the ball in the end zone, and they turned it over in the red zone instead. Yeah, and they made their biggest offensive play of the day, a beautiful throw, a beautiful catch by Devontae Adams. Gets Mason Crosby in scoring range. He ends up making the 39-yarder. You come out of halftime feeling good about yourselves. That was the most momentum, most rhythm we saw with the offense coming out of the break. But when you get into the red area, Mike, we talk so much about Rodgers and he doesn't throw pick sixes. He really is not a guy that throws interceptions deep inside the opposing team's you know, scoring territory. It happened there, and from that point on, it just seemed like the air, too much air had been let out of the balloon at that point. Yeah, the... As you said in Insider Inbox, the Packers will have plenty of opportunities here to prove that this game was a, was an anomaly. The to to just see how out of character it was. Two key statistics we talked about it on our on our show last week with the keys to victory. The Packers were second in the league last year in third down efficiency. They were the best in the league and historically one of the best teams ever in the red zone. And what happens, Aaron Rodgers doesn't get a single third down conversion the entire game that he's in at quarterback. And the first time on the season that they're in the red zone, they not only don't get a touchdown, they turn the ball over. I, you know, that's just not the way the Packers played football in, in 2020 at all. So on the defensive side of things, you mentioned it, the third down efficiency, the fourth down efficiency, the the red zone the Saints got two touchdowns off of very, very short fields, one off of the long interception return, the other one a failed fourth down. So basically two red zone possessions to start, and, and they converted those into touchdowns. But early in the game, especially on those two long touchdown drives, the Packers' defense had opportunities to get off the field. There were third downs, there were fourth downs, and they just they, they did not take advantage of, of those opportunities Jameis Winston scrambled away on, you know, on a call. I talked about that last week as well, that you have to, you have to be careful how you rush these guys, you know, these guys with the legs that, that can hurt you. He had 36 yards rushing, you know, it, it within the first couple of drives of the football game. And, you know, I felt that completely put the Packers defense on their heels the rest of the time. And then, and then we saw how other times he's going back there and sitting back there in the pocket because the Packers weren't coming after him because yeah. he had burned them with, with, uh, with the legs and all that. So it just, it was, it was a, a snowball that started going downhill. The Packers, the Packers couldn't stop it. And, uh, and unfortunately the game just got completely out of hand. Yeah. We talked about it. I mean, it was going to be a different type of challenge as difficult as it was playing Drew Brees for the past 12 years or whatever it came out to be. <laughs> um, actually it was more like 14, 14, I think. Yeah. 
this going up against Jameis Winston, everything gets basically put on its head a little bit. This guy has a big home run type arm. You saw that on the Deontay Harris 55-yard touchdown when they finally did go for the ball downfield. Right. At the same exact moment that I think I even mentioned to you as we're watching the game, man, he only has 93 passing yards so far, and it was like literally the yeah, next play. Yeah, and then play, boom, he 50, Harris. 55 touchdown, yeah. But, but realistically, Mike, the two areas, other than those statistics I reeled off, because those are really the most telling, it's the most important uh, of all. But the two areas where I thought Green Bay lost this game was New Orleans dominated them in the run game, offensive and defensive, being able to stop Green Bay's run, knocking them out of that rhythm. You mentioned how uncharacteristic some of the mental mistakes were that Green Bay had. It was also uncharacteristic. They just couldn't get any of their typical offense going in that early going. And then conversely, uh, I, I talked about Kamara, but I mean, talk about Tony Jones Jr. Uh, being a guy that was a really steady complimentary presence to him and the fact that they were able to get 140 rushing yards in the first half thanks in part also to Winston and 170 yards for the game I keep saying this over and over again but they dictated the terms in which this game was going to be played they used the Jacksonville it was a different type of environment but they wore Green Bay down and ultimately I just think kind of you know demoralized them in in some ways so the big key for Green Bay this week, as Matt LaFleur discussed, and I really appreciate Aaron Rodgers' comments afterwards as well. I mean, he said, we played bad, I played bad. It really is that simple. Yeah. The goal now, as Devontae Adams tweeted with flush it and respond, you got Detroit coming in here next week now. You got to figure out what happened in these first two days of the week, make those corrections, and then reset because the Packers got a huge gift in the fact the NFC North all ended up coming up empty this weekend. But now you got a divisional opponent coming into your house and you have to hold serve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some shout out to our sponsors, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard hitting analysis and up to the minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24 7. 365 and at cousin subs we have something for everyone like our wisconsin cheese curds mac and cheese golden fries and creamy shakes all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl cousin subs we believe in better a couple of injury situations to talk about here with the packers one is that tight end josiah deguara is in the concussion protocol he was down on the field for quite a while Everyone thankful that he was able to get up and walk off the field. Matt LaFleur saying on Monday that he's definitely in a better place than he was on Sunday. So that is very good to hear, but he is in the concussion protocol, and we will just have to see what happens. Darnell Savage left the game in the second half with a shoulder injury. Matt LaFleur does not believe it is a a long-term issue at all and even suggested that with the extra day, with the Packers not playing until Monday night, that that might be enough time for Darnell Savage to even get back on the field here in Week 2. And then Zadarius Smith, he went into the game questionable. He only practiced once during training camp, ended up playing 18 snaps, apparently came out of it no worse for wear. Um, Health-wise, I'm sure he has a little bit of an objection to that flag, uh, that flag that was thrown on the roughing the passer. I don't want to go off on a big tangent here, Wes, but I just have to say, look, I've been saying it for years. The NFL puts in all these safety rules, and I get it. I understand it. I'm not saying there's a problem with the safety rules. But if you're going to put all the safety rules in, why aren't you going to use replay to make sure you get the calls right? Because he didn't hit him high. He didn't hit him low. He didn't land with his body weight on him. He didn't hit him late. He hit him hard. Yes, he hit him hard, and it looked bad. So they throw a flag because it looked bad. And when you look at it on the replay, he didn't break a rule. The safety rules are in place. He didn't break a rule. 
So you can't just throw a flag because it looked bad. Yeah. I just, I get it. It was 24 to three. I still don't think the game is over at that point necessarily. The Packers probably are not going to win the game. But what if that call happens when it's 24 to 21 and you wipe out an interception by a defense in the end zone on a call like that? Yeah. I mean, come on, NFL. Make the safety rules reviewable on replay. It's simple. It's simple. Just if the rules are that important, then make sure you get the calls right. All right, that, all right I'm done. No, Go it's ahead. That's good. It, it, you're right. The thing I'm actually most grateful for on that play was that Jameis Winston threw the ball because I still feel like that flag was probably getting thrown even if he sacks him. I really believe that. No, you're, I, no, you're, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. The referee was looking at one thing and one thing only. And, well, and that is his job. He's, he, that referee is back there to protect the quarterback. Monday Night Raw is what he was looking at. <laughs> he was looking at how that quarterback is going back. I give Jameis a lot of credit. His head whipped back like he just got into a car accident. And that's but the there thing. was no contact to the head at all. Right, that's the thing. His head whipped back because of the power of the hit. Yeah. But Zadarius Smith did not break a rule. He and then did it because textbook. it because it looked bad, because it looked bad, he throws the flag. And that's why and I don't I don't blame the official. That that's what I that's what I want people to understand. I don't blame the official for throwing the flag cuz it looked like roughing the passer. Yeah. But it wasn't. No. Look at the replay. Make sure you get the call right. And the NFL refuses to do that. I don't understand. It's the worst. And, and the th- fact of the matter is I actually got really fired up watching the game, too, because everybody will always say, well, then the games get too long. You know, if you're doing all these reviews. And my only, con- my only counter to that then is, okay, if that's the emphasis then, because we're all about emphasis in the NFL. You know, yeah. God forbid that I celebrate while I'm directly, you know, across from you as opposed to my body being turned this way that's an issue that's a penalty that could get me ejected right but god forbid you know if that's the emphasis and that's where hey we're not going to be able to to review these things then it is on the referees to get this right it is their job to get it right whether they're in the position whether that means adding another guy somewhere in the stadium that is looking from a different perspective right only focused on that quarterback that's something the NFL has to figure out because my biggest issue, let's say the game doesn't turn around. Let's say the Packers do still lose 35-10 to 10 or whatever. We saw this happen with Jair Alexander two years, three years ago. It cost him an interception. In this day and age, it's not easy to play defense, and it's not easy to generate turnovers. If a guy gets a takeaway, he should be rewarded for it if the play was clean. Yeah. Unacceptable. Yeah, I all right, thank you for indulging but me. I apologize. For I will. That. I will say this: good to see Zadarius Smith from a health perspective. It sounds like he no came question out of the about game well. That's a huge thing for this defense because they're going to need him. No question about it. A- absolutely. You mentioned it before. The NFC North took a goose yeah. egg in Week One. Uh, the uh, the Minnesota Vikings go into Cincinnati and lose in overtime. Actually, they were. In my opinion, they were lucky to get it to overtime in the first place. I think Cincinnati made made some really questionable decisions when they had a two-score lead there in the second half. But that aside, Minnesota was then in position maybe five, six, seven yards away from being able to kick a field goal and win that game in overtime. Dalvin Cook fumbles the ball. Cincinnati recovers. They get in position and kick a walk-off as the overtime clock expires. So Minnesota is 0-1. The, the uh, Chicago Bears hang with the L.A. Rams for a while there on Sunday night. I believe it was a 20-14 to 14 game yep. there in the second half. But then the Rams pull away at the end, win by 20. 
So the Bears are 0-1, and then the Packers' opponent here coming up in Week 2, Monday Night Football, the Detroit Lions, they fall behind big time. They're down 41-17 with, I don't know, four or five minutes left in the game, and suddenly they get this big rally going. They score and get a two. They recover an onside kick. They score again, get another two-point conversion. Suddenly a 24-point deficit is an eight-point deficit. It's 41-33, to and then the Niners have the game put away on a completed pass on a third-down conversion, and they fumble the ball. Detroit gets it back, and they actually get within 25 yards of that potential game-tying touchdown, but they fall to the 49ers 41-33. to But we saw that's a Detroit Lions team that showed a lot of fight in a game that they were getting uh, they were getting it handed to them for three and a half quarters. And uh, that's the Detroit, the fighting Detroit Lions are going to be here at Lambeau Field come Monday night. Yeah, we always talk about teams taking on the mantra and the mentality of their coach. And I thought you saw that this game with the Lions because I was one of those people that left them for dead in this game. Jared Goff gets off to a slow start. You're not really sure what the running game is. Jamal Williams had a great game, but DeAndre Swift is sort of their ace. That's the guy they've been working on being the lead back, and and here's you know Jamal kind of coming out of nowhere. All that being said, I really don't know how to make heads or tails out of that first week for the NFC North, whether it's the Packers, whether it's the Vikings, the Lions. The Bears, I think you saw that they're, they're kind of far away from, where I think, where they need to be and where they want to be. I think they have to figure out that quarterback situation first and then start to let the dominoes well, and go there. And, and, and they, were, they were behind the eight ball in some respects, too, that uh, you know the new stadium out there in L.A., yeah. which did not have any fans last year, suddenly it's the first game where yep. those L.A. fans get to fill the place and it's Sunday night football in prime time. I mean, that's a tough way to open your season. And as I said, they did hang with them into the second half there. It was a one-score game for a while, but ultimately the, the Rams took control down the stretch and yeah. put them away. I, I just have a harder time figuring out I mean, I think a lot of it's going to come down to us trying to figure out how good the, the Cincinnati Bengals are. And, you know, I think Joe everybody Burrow, in the NFC North has to play him. The Vikings yeah. were the first one to play him and everybody else is going to get a shot at him, too. Joe Burrow's legit. If he can stay healthy, I think he's going to give a lot of teams problems. I think there's some questions with their defense there. But, you know, the Vikings, that's been the way this thing's gone for them. It's been a lot of ups and downs. And when you're up and down too much, you end up at that seven and nine, eight and eight level. So uh, some questions that Mike Zimmer's group has to answer. But getting, bringing it back to Detroit to close this thing up, they showed a lot of heart. They showed a lot of desire. And I, I still, you know, they lost Jeff Akuda this week, so that's going to be a big loss for them. Yeah, he's uh, out for the season, young cornerback. That had a fantastic camp and looked like he was making the strides they wanted to after a rough rookie year. So they're going to have to rally the, the troops. But um, they present a lot of issues, Mike, you know, with TJ Hawkinson kind of coming on, certainly the two-headed backfield. Um, and Jared Goff has been there, done that. So they're going to come in wanting to be, you know, find a way to come in and, and upend the Green Bay. So that's something that Matt LaFleur is going to have to have these guys ready for. Yeah, well, the first NFC North matchup of 2021, it's already here in week two. With that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team all week long. We've got it for you on Packers.com. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.